Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The attitudes expressed are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised, there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. It's Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason, a guy that is trying to give a message of not using drugs or staying mentally healthy or something to my kids. I don't know. And I'm here with Jenny. Hi, I'm Jenny. And I'm a person um, who doesn't have to drink to get through my day anymore. There you go. That's a good one. Um, So we're going to talk about the idea of how do we talk to our kids about drugs? How do we talk to our kids about mental health how can we help our kids not need help with mental health or drug addiction or alcohol use or how to help our kids find better coping skills i don't exactly know but something like that yeah god are we doing this right i don't i don't know i I don't know we this is ridiculous we're set up in a basement and whatever um (laughs) before we get into it we did get a a response or a comment on the what does being clean really mean episode and uh stephanie you know reached out and said that for her being clean is having a clear spiritual connection with her higher power so she can work the program and be easily guided when she puts drugs in her, she stops hearing God, higher power, Buddha, whatever you want to call it. While caffeine technically is a drug, she doesn't consume enough of it to interrupt her spiritual connection or sway her moral compass. If she did, then she would say she was not clean. Oh, I like that. It was an interesting take on it, right? Like what comes between us and that spiritual connection as deciding what's clean? Love, Stephanie. Uh, I think... My perspective would be a little different because I do believe there's been times when like I really wanted that coffee and without being able to have that coffee, like, oh, I have my second coffee at 1 p.m. every afternoon. And when I can't have it one day because life dictates that I just can't get to a coffee that day, I don't think I'm a spiritual, right? I do think there's these things that have power that I give connection to and and maybe mm-hmm. coffee's a sh- stretch even though i do think that's true but definitely nicotine like let me not vape and see how spiritual i am for a couple days right so i i don't know i mean by that definition i guess i'm not clean and so i should stop worrying about it is it still like is life still manageable with caffeine though there's that keyword management (sighs) but i've had a manageable life at times with certain portions of drug use and i definitely wasn't clean yeah yeah but for what length of time you know, like, all right, I was good for that hour. What about and somebody then, who's uh, on methadone for 30 years and goes to work every day? Like, uh, I don't think, I don't think they're clean. I mean, I'm, they might, but again, yeah. by, by my old definition of clean, of course, right. like at this point, I, I don't think clean is actually a thing. Yeah, it's a tough one. And, and I know like I have reached for a cup of coffee in the same uh, energy that I used to reach for a beer, like oh my God, this day, and I'll grab a cup of coffee as if that's going to solve it. And, um, you know, it doesn't lead to six more coffees. Just one coffee in a, you know, in a deep breath usually helps me out. But I know I've had that same feeling that I would reach for that coffee like I used to reach for a drink. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we could probably have a whole nother episode on that because I don't even think mm-hmm. I was done talking that day. And you <laughs> didn't get to talk that day. So. <laughs> but let's uh, let's focus in on, on talking to our kids about drugs. I, I think this is slowly changing in our society. Like, I, I definitely, I mean, I heard more about drugs from D.A.R.E. than I did my parents, right? Like, mm-hmm. the rhetoric on the TV was Nancy Reagan and Just Say No. And D.A.R.E. came in and taught us about all these drugs and and how great they were or how they'd mess us up, how depending on how you look at it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I didn't, I mean, that was middle school. I didn't even understand what they were talking about really a whole lot. It was like, oh God, <laughs> we got to do this. Uh, do you know what I remember? Is, this is how I remembered the difference. So barbiturates were the slow ones and amphetamines were the fast ones. So barbiturates I remember with barbiturates <laughs> and amphetamines, amphetamines, amphetamines. <laughs> 
<laughs> that stuck with me. <laughs> that's a, did they teach you that in Dare? Yeah, they, they taught about barbiturates and amphetamines, and that's how I remembered it. Oh. You know, for the quiz, was it or maybe it was health class, Dare health class? I don't know. Yeah, I don't I don't blend know it together. Either. Yeah, uh, and, and I think my parents maybe just said. Drugs are bad, okay? Like, that was about <laughs> the extent of, of what I got. Okay. Yeah. I remember, like, being seven in second grade. For some reason, this memory sticks out. And they taught us about smoking cigarettes in school and how bad it was for you. And I do remember leaving school thinking, why would anybody ever smoke? And I think I even said that to my parents. Like, that's the dumbest thing ever. Did your parents smoke? No. Wow. But I just remember feeling that way. Like, that is so stupid. Why would anybody ever do that? Yeah. And my dad smoked. And um, I remember hating smoking right up to the day I started smoking. Yeah. Like <laughs> I started at 14 and it was like, it was on. I yeah, was just, I was like 13 I'm or 14. I'm a smoker. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. it. And I was. And I still, I guess, technically kind of am. Aw, one day. I know. I call it vaping, but it's mm-hmm. it's similar. You should quit, Jason. One day. <laughs> All right. So what did, what did your parents tell you about drugs? Um. So, yeah, we had the regular elementary school education. And at home, so... You know, drinking, drinking is drinking. It happened. So I'm watching my parents drink Mm -hmm. and family, aunts, uncles, grandpa every day. But then it was like, the message was like, no, no, not for you. When you're old enough, you can. And it was like, almost like a crowning achievement. Oh, yeah. Like a driver's license? Yeah. It was like, one day you'll be able to drink too. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to drink. I remember thinking (laughs) even little, like single digit age, I can't wait to drink because all the grownups were having um, way more fun. Right. And it was like one day, no, no, no. And they'd like, hold, they'd let me smell it and hold it and I would fetch it for them and not for you. Uh, you know, you can't have this yet. You're too young, but one day you'll be able to drink. But they also had the message of no drinking and driving. I do remember that, like, you know, like Uncle Al can't take the motorcycle now. He's had too many. So I do remember that lesson. And um, not too much about drugs. Maybe in high school it was like, uh, you know, don't do drugs. They'll finger like, just this, don't do drugs, but not a lot of deep conversation at all. The conflicting message was like, you know, like once you're old enough, you know, you can drink, but they didn't talk about the negative sides. They never talked about hangovers, uh, the money, um, poor decision-making. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally like, you know, like my dad would go out for like, they ended up getting a divorce when I was a teenager, but like, Sometimes we wouldn't see him for days. Like, I'm not saying he was on a binge, but he would just go to work, party, go to work, party, go to work, party. We, we wouldn't even see him. And nobody ever equated that to alcohol, you know? And uh, my brother and I started putting things together about it. But yeah, so that, w- that was my message for alcohol. And it was just always the crowning. And I remember this too. So they really wanted me to go to college. And I did for a little bit until I drank myself out of college. But the, they really wanted me to go to college, and all they ever talked about in college was the partying. <laughs> and um, I love it. There's parties. Yeah, and they would have pictures of like frat parties, and I mean, I swear to God, we had like the wall of pictures, family pictures, and in the dead center was a frat party picture. Like it looked like Animal House. <laughs> so, you know, they they wanted me to go to college, and nobody ever said about how much hard work it is. They just talked about the partying. That was the message about alcohol. So I was really. Hmm. primed up for alcoholism (laughs) i'm well and i mean it it's not a shock from that idea that Mm -hmm. you went to college and partied yeah like that's what you were told yep that that was all i looked forward to so i did start drinking in high school and they that's when my parents got divorced and neither of them wanted to really look at that nobody they kind of looked the other way and i was smoking cigarettes too i mean clearly you can't hide cigarette smoking you smell like a cigarette you know like so i was 13 14 smelled like a cigarette nobody really wanted to like acknowledge that you know (laughs) I and and I had a bedroom that was like on a different floor from mm-hmm. my parents, but I mean, if you smoke in a house, oh, you definitely, smell the smoke. <laughs> yeah. And I would, I just smoked in my bedroom, and and every once in a while, somebody be shitty and say something about it, but generally, no, it just got ignored. I had a black light in my room and a big black light pot leaf poster uh-huh. at like fifteen. And oh, Jason's oh, fine. You know, he must be into that rock and roll. It's experiment, <laughs> I guess. I, I don't know what the hell they were thinking, but it. Yeah. So yeah, Jenny. One plus one is two, and college is partying, and you mm-hmm. you, know, you did all that perfectly, yep. just the way you were taught. Nailed it. So it's interesting. You talked about the idea of glorifying this certain age when you can drink and there have been people that 
propose the idea that the reason Europe or other parts of the world, but Europe in particular, doesn't have the kind of alcoholism or addiction that we do in the U.S. is because it's normalized way earlier, right? Yeah. Having a glass of wine at dinner, seven-year-olds can do that, right? Fourteen-year-olds definitely are doing that. Like, that's not a big thing. So it's not this wait until this age. It's so glorifying. Once you get there, you've you've arrived. I don't actually think that's really that accurate, that that's useful. I think it's entirely yeah. for a different culture, but... yeah. Uh, it is interesting that, that, you know, those two things exist at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. I like shudder when you say seven-year-old drinking, but I'm like, ah. but, and they just, they do, they have, uh, you know, European values are totally different than American values. So I think they have better, they're better set up for mental health in general, let alone some sweet, except Finland. I think they're pretty fucked up. <laughs> I know nothing about Finland. No, I think they have like outrageous alcohol, alcoholism rates. I, mm. It's gotten better, but uh, I just remember they were like champion world champions for alcoholism world champion we're gonna go finland i do think i saw some stat recently and i don't even remember what the stat was or what it was about but it was something negative and like they were second to the u.s even though they've got like so fewer people in the world like they were the second worst and i was like oh wow. Uh, when i got sober um you know when you get sober all of a sudden like new things are coming to your attention that you never thought of before and there was a uh like a psa out of finland and it showed what uh, you look like to your kids as a drunk. And I was like, wow, eye opening, mm. like no, no translation, you know, language translation necessary. It showed what you look like to your kids as a drunk. And I, that really encouraged me along my path. Wow. Yeah. So I, I think our language is changing as our understanding of addiction, drug use, whatever you'd like to refer to it as is changing, right? Mm. We, we don't, I think the message we were getting, we were definitely all in on it's a moral failing and you're just weak willed yeah. and you have no self-control or self-will to stop and mm -hmm. drug users are bad people, right? And so just don't do them and you won't be a bad person. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the more the science has helped us understand that this is really a mental health issue and, you know, it's, it's coming from a different place. I think people are starting to get that information it's weird it's like science gets information then the professionals read it and understand it and then they start giving it out and then it hits like pop culture universal understanding like 30 years later or something but, yeah so we're, we're slowly getting there but I, I still think it's very confusing for parents like us who were raised in this one place and so we still have this lingering subconscious this is kind of how we think about it even though we understand it's not that way, like that old message still filters in and it's hard to, what do I do when my child uses drugs or my child is encountering a mental health dilemma? And what do I do before they ever get there? Like to try to help avoid that or, or give them the tools to not do that. And I think that's where this conversation comes in, right? Mm -hmm. What and how as parents can we, you know, you mentioned break the cycle uh, of addiction yeah. or mental health. And like, I, I can't say that I really know. I, I think it'll be a useful conversation and I got some ideas, but I, like what, how the fuck do you help people with a problem that, you know, I, from my understanding, and this isn't universal, but my belief is kind of like, hey, you have these traumas or aces right you know adverse childhood experiences we did an episode about that you have these in your youth and through these traumas and attachment issues of like not feeling enough not feeling loved you seek out coping skills and it just so happens that when you're in pain emotionally you know when you don't feel right when you don't feel connected to anything in the world drugs feel really fucking good and they fix all that. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're actually like, they're much more a solution when you find them than a problem. And, you know, especially with adults giving kids all this, oh my God, if you smoke one marijuana, you'll die. Right. <laughs> and then they, they do smoke a marijuana and, and they don't die. Right. Well, then they're like, well, that's all bullshit now. So I, I don't think the, the miseducation was helpful, but what is helpful? What can we give people as our kids like yours are youngish yeah i have seven and ten right and um so you bring up the aces i guess to start minimizing the aces i know that was I, and i don't i do not propose to have all the answers but um 
I'm trying to keep those aces to a min. <laughs> I uh, and just just trying to like so like in AA they talk about the hole in the soul. Just trying not to get that hole started. You know, I know the world is still going to bring stuff, you know, to my girls' way, but I'm going to try to do my best to protect them. And I'm I'm starting to talk to them about drugs and alcohol now. So seven and seven and ten. And um, what about you? You. Oh God. I, I <laughs> so I have two fifteens, a twelve, a seven, and a two, and uh, I would say with with my my oldest two, my twins, I have had conversations about, you know, kind of like what Billy says, and I honestly don't, I'm not sure how useful it is, but I I think they should at least know it. Like, hey, uh, I struggled with this in my history. Your mother struggled with this in her history. And, you know, from what we understand through research, that at least makes you 50% more susceptible to struggling with this. So if you're going to try it, just know that going into it, right? Like this could be a real big problem for you, like it was for me and your mother. And not everybody lives through that. Like we, well, I I guess not everybody lives through that. Their mother didn't, right? I I have so far. Um, So I I guess I was a little more open with them. Like they know that I used, I don't think they know a whole lot of the details. I honestly had this grand plan that when they turned 14, the next year at my anniversary, I was going to bring them and let them hear my story. And then the pandemic happened. (laughs) And so I didn't, uh, I don't know how useful it would have been, but I thought it was relevant and I wanted to wait to an age where it was appropriate because I cuss a lot and say some weird shit when I share. I didn't want to take them too young. Um, but no, I've been pretty open with them, but I, I don't honestly feel like with my, my younger three that I've had a whole lot. I mean, uh, the 12 year old hears a lot through being around when the older ones are around and there's conversation and I don't necessarily try to hide it from any of them, but it's just like, it just doesn't seem relevant. And, and truthfully, I don't know if that's a whole lot helpful versus what you were talking about is like trying to avoid the aces and the, and the problems to begin with, right? Like trying to give them really healthy, strong attachment where they know they're loved and valued. Like I, from my point of view at this point in time, that's much more valuable to give my kids than telling them, Hey, I use drugs or drugs are bad. (laughs) So, uh, the seven year old, I should clarify something real quick for the audience. So my, my 10 year old has down syndrome. And so she doesn't ask a lot of questions. And, um, I mean, it's not like 10 year olds can't, I mean, I'm sorry. It's not like people with down syndrome can't drink or do drugs, but the chances of my daughter getting into addiction are much less than my typical seven year old. Um, so the seven year old ends up asking more questions. And, um, this summer, not too long ago, she asked me, she's like, mom, were you addicted to alcohol? And I was like, whoop. You know, like I didn't, I didn't know where that question came from, but except for that, we do talk about drinking and drugs as it comes up. Like it's in a movie, like, you know, that movie Ratatouille, like they drink drinking in that. Yeah. There's drinking in that. And I, I think I've said out loud, I'm like, man, they they drink a lot of wine in a kid's movie. (laughs) (laughs) Um, and, uh, we've talked about drinking in, uh, the sense of, um, Maybe she's overheard me say like, oh, will there be alcohol there? I don't, you know, I don't even know. We, we just don't have a lot of drinking friends, but we went to a 4th of July party. And when we arrived, we're like saying hello and hugging and stuff. And the, the man of the house was like, opens the cooler of beers. He's like, hey, help yourself. And Billy, the seven-year-old's like, we don't drink alcohol. (laughs) And I didn't even know like she had that expression in her, you know, repertoire. But apparently I have said that we don't drink alcohol. Uh, but yeah, so uh, recently she asked me, mom, were you addicted to alcohol? And, uh, and I, in the, in the moment we were like running, I'm like, uh, let's talk about that. But I, not right now. Cause we were like running somewhere or whatever. So then within a few days, I did have a chance to talk to her about it. And I only answered what she asked. You know, I didn't go too far and I was like, yes, I was addicted to alcohol. Um, you know, I hurt people I love and, um, I could have been in an accident and, uh, I had to ask for help, uh, to stop. And now that's when I told her, so she knows I go to a meeting every Thursday. And I said, so that meditation meeting I go to, that is for people who had trouble with drinking or drugs. And so she kind of put the big picture together. 
But then I stopped there and I'll just wait for her to ask more questions. Mm. But I kind of wanted her slightly informed because um, if it came up at school, if anybody was like, oh, your mom runs that drug and alcohol meeting or <laughs> anything like that, I didn't want her quite so blindsided, you know. Um, so I'm glad she has like a basis for that. No questions since. G7, there's Roblox and Minecraft to do. Seriously, I think it went right from like, okay, did I tell you about Piggy and Minecraft? I'm like, what? <laughs> I don't think there's any alcohol in Minecraft, so that's good. Oh, good. Yeah. You know, when you're sensitive to it, it's funny how often you see alcohol in cartoons. You're like, is that really necessary? Uh, you know? And, and just how glorified it is across the board in our society. Yeah. If if you didn't know, if you just came to the U.S. and, you know, lived here for a month and saw all the advertising, billboards, commercials, whatever, sporting events, you would say, God, 95% of this population drinks. Oh, yeah. And it's not even close. It's that like was a, yeah. less than 50. Yep. That was a question on my intake. They're like, how many, how much of the population do you think drinks? And I knew it was a trick question by the way he phrased it. So I went, <clears throat> I don't know, I think I said like. 60 percent he's like no at the time i think it was like 40 percent yeah it's incredibly low considering first thing that flashed in my head i was like are there that many mormons like (laughs) (laughs) i was thinking about all the amish and mormons but that's because that's who i surrounded myself with was like all people who drink well it's the message our society gives i mean even the message of you know drink responsibly starts with drink right right (laughs) Right? that's all you hear drink response don't drink or Uh make responsible decisions about if you want to drink it's Mm -hmm. just drink responsibly yeah (laughs) every new strip mall that goes up there's a liquor store in it Mm. seriously check out that that was on my like resentment list why do we need so many liquor stores (laughs) to sell all the alcohol Mm. (laughs) god can we get a shoe store like (laughs) so I, i think how you choose to talk about drugs and alcohol to your children. Uh, and, and I don't want to lose the mental health aspect because that's how I conceptualize all this. So I think that's crucial too. But how you talk to your kids is definitely going to depend on how you view the problem, right? Because how you view the problem is how you're going to view the solution. And that's kind of what we said earlier. If you it's think point. it's a moral failing, you're going to say, don't do it, right? Just don't do it. You'll be morally strong if you don't right great character he didn't do drugs um but if you view this as like a problem where people are using as a coping skill because they can't cope with life without it then the conversation really has to me in my mind has little to do about drugs or alcohol and it's really about like how do we find coping skills how do we feel safe and comfortable in our bodies because that's the whole thing right what we're what I believe uh, and what, you know, others in my field believe is that like trauma, ACEs, however you want to conceptualize this issue that happens to humans, maybe it's just happening to humans because it's 2021 and we're all on cell phones and who knows why, right? Maybe it's not even trauma, but we're getting to a place where our regulatory system in our bodies feels like we're being attacked by, you know, vicious lions or something at all times. And then our brain is sending the signal that nothing's wrong. So what's wrong with you for feeling like you're in this life or death situation all the time. But then we're got to find a way to cope, right? You can't just stay in this dysregulated, oh my God, life's going to end if my friend doesn't invite me, if I don't get a hundred likes on my picture, if this boy doesn't talk to me or respond to my texts, like everything feels life or death. And at that state, you need something to help, man. That's painful, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or along with that state, the idea of, I don't even want to call it depression, but just this idea that life isn't enjoyable. There's like no joy ever. Like even on the best day of your life when you do get the 100 likes and the boy does text back, there's just no joy inside of you, right? And I think that's a, a place that a lot of people, or at least some people are getting to, and that's a life of pain, right? And and I read this book recently. The guy was like getting off heroin and all these things kept going well in his life. And he just kept ending up back on heroin because life felt like pain. And he used a painkiller to treat it, right? And, and he couldn't find a way out of that. And he couldn't understand why he couldn't feel good because he loved his daughter and he loved his wife and he wanted to just feel good in that moment, but he couldn't. And I think... For me, at least, looking at, you know, what people are going through through that lens of like they just can't do anything else and they are just in pain. And if you were in pain, who wouldn't seek relief? 
that makes it make a lot of sense to me, but I don't know that that helps with how to talk to them. Like that's more of how do we help people not get to that painful place? And I don't know that I have an answer for that. I definitely don't have an answer for it, but I see where you're coming from. It makes me think of too, didn't they find like monkeys in the jungle, like getting fucked up for fun? Like, are they having early childhood trauma? Like what's, you know? Well, and and that's a thing I think it, one of the things that's been weighing on my mind lately. Honestly, this book really Monkeys kinda, in the Jungle, really? Yes, I think about Monkeys in the Jungle all the time. <laughs> and they're bad monkeys and we should spank them. Um <laughs> No, uh <laughs> this book has messed my head up, right? Because I'm like I kind of feel like maybe I ignore it, but I sort of live in this state of like Life just doesn't really feel good enough, kind of at all times, even on the great days. It's like I don't feel as connected as I'd like, and I don't feel like like I want to just push through and take my kids out in the front yard and kick a soccer ball around or throw a baseball, and it's like, I just can't. And I'm like, I don't want this to be all my life is, and I don't have... And, and so it just got me thinking and, and reading and researching and IV ketamine treatment for depression and people who microdose uh, for a month to, you know, restart their brain and create these new channels and all this stuff. And I'm like, what if, right? And, and I look back at our history and I feel like every ancient civilization or culture had these moments, you know, whether they called it uh, a Friday night kager or whether they called it like seeking a spiritual enlightenment with peyote like whatever it was all these ancient cultures did have these times when they used something whether that was something they smoked something they drank something they ingested to to have a psychedelic experience from time to time that was part of what they did and i just wonder i'm like yeah i get that we come from a place of drugs are bad and you know we should never do them and we'll never stop doing them but i'm wondering if there's not this healthy place of like this is what our culture does every so often because fucking living without it is ridiculous and you know doing it creates this environment for a different purpose right it's not just like oh let's get fucked up it's mm. let's speak seek spiritual enlightenment let's look for god let's just have an out of my body experience for a while whatever it is like i feel like that always has existed and now we're kind of missing that to an extent so you think this whole like you know addiction crisis is like part of the level up process i i think it's the fact that we don't know how to live in tune and connection with our bodies and with the universe kind of okay. mm -hmm. uh and and that just puts us in a place of not ever finding joy and and what do you do when there's no joy right you gotta seek when you're always in pain, you seek a painkiller. I guess that's one of the things that just stuck out from this book. Like, mm -hmm. if you're in pain, you seek a painkiller. And removing the painkiller does not remove the pain. And uh, what do you do with that? How do you solve that problem? And I'm not trying to solve addiction here. Like, this is more how do we help our youth, like, not need it right. to survive. But, but I guess when you brought up the monkeys getting messed up, it just made me think, like, maybe the goal isn't really abstinence like maybe it's like hey once a year we all go out to i, I think a burning man is like the the ultimate <laughs> like modern version of this but maybe there's something better than burning man that we come up with that it's like hey once a year we go on sabbatical and we all take mushrooms and we fucking try to seek being a better person maybe yeah coming from the right place yeah. I, I don't think that helps addiction i know because some people are going to go to that and be like why can't we have three burning mans a year right. you know well maybe we do need it every three yeah. months <laughs> right right yeah the whole idea if they invented a cure uh, a pill that cured addiction like the addict would say what would two do for me <laughs> yeah. yeah i get that <laughs> i well i think that state though of wanting to be and that's kind of how it's been conceptualized by some people in my field is people who feel safe and regulated in their bodies don't often seek to be out of their bodies they just don't have the desire to because they already feel safe and comfortable. People who feel dysregulated and unsafe at all times always want to be out of their bodies. 
And so I think our modern society has created this culture where everybody feels unsafe all the time. Like this is just the byproduct of technology, whatever progress, whatever we want to call it. And so now we're all seeking this escape, whether that's the, the, the drug, the alcohol, the cell phone, the sex, the gambling, like we're all seeking something to occupy our time, the Netflix, right? Mm -hmm. The binge watching Netflix episodes. Like that's, I don't think that's something that somebody who feels healthy does. Yeah. I think, did you tell me this one? It's that uh, technology and society is evolving faster than our brains can? No. Okay. I don't think. If I did, I made it up. Well, what do you think of it? It's possible. I, I guess I look at that, that whole rat park experiment where they mm -hmm. took the rats that had like these these wonderful conditions. They had a little rat swimming pool. Maybe they had a, oh, yeah. a rat diving board, mm -hmm. right? Maybe they had uh, rat swimsuits and hot Rat, rat soft serve ice cream. Right. Rat soft. Yours are much more nice than mine. <laughs> mine are like pornographic rats and yours are like <laughs> humble ice cream eating rats. Um, but anyway, the rats who had all these enjoyable things and the ball to play with and the frisbee to throw around, like I'm sure rats aren't throwing frisbees, but they tried cocaine and then had it available and didn't go back to it. Whereas the rats who were in, you know, the cage with absolutely fucking nothing went back to the cocaine time and time again. And, and I don't know that that so much works. Like, I don't think you could just take our society and put us in this utopia and all of a sudden we're better. But growing up, that's our internal landscape is how I look at Rat Park, right? Our internal landscape is empty now. And so we need these drugs. Whereas if we grow up in, in some kind of environment that we can give our kids, hopefully, where the internal landscape feels peacefully and like we're lying on a beach at all times, right? Then we don't need these escapes. And so from that context, if we could get to that place where we don't need the escapes, I don't think Burning Man happens four times a year. I don't think we want to. Did they do a rat park experiment where they started them in the bleak environment, then put them in the rat park? I actually and, think they did that as part of that experiment. And, and it worked. Do, so do rats get early childhood trauma? No, I don't believe so. Domesticated animals can be traumatized, but wild animals don't. And I guess these rats were domesticated, but I still think it's much more difficult because they go through the entire process and experience of the traumatic event. And then at the end, they like shake it off and shit and just run off and they're fine. Uh, whereas we don't follow through in the process. We get stuck. Our regulatory systems, our nervous systems get stuck in the traumatic experience and so our body moves on but our insides stay in that either fight or flight or the the freeze because human beings tell stories rats don't tell stories right and we're telling ourselves the same stories yeah okay we don't we don't have a way to complete the process so i i, I don't know if any of that long-winded explanation helps us with what we need to do uh, i think we got off a little bit on the the monkeys getting high um but it's so fun to think about monkeys getting high. <laughs> this episode has been brought to you in part by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit recovery organization made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, harm reduction and support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopemaryland.org and consider donating to our calls. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I don't want to get too in detail and personal. Um, my daughter is struggling with her mental health, right? If you're struggling with your mental health, if you don't feel good in your body, that's a problem and, and should be taken pretty seriously. Um, even if the fear isn't losing your child, like just the fact that your child is that discontent and at that much 
dis-ease in their life, like that should be serious enough for any of us. And I, and I get it, right? We got jobs, we got to get the groceries, we got to pay the bills, we got to keep up with the sports activities, but we got to take the time to address this and, and, and look at it like it's a serious issue. And, and I think one of the most important things for me right now in that situation is to make sure that she knows that however she feels, it's okay. Right. And and I've been like, because I'm in that situation, thinking a lot about that. Um, and, and when I say she's okay, when she feels that, I don't mean like she doesn't need help. I mean, like you are allowed and, and perfectly it's reasonable to feel this thing you're feeling. And it got me to thinking about when I first got clean and I haven't thought about this for a long time, but I remember sitting in a meeting and saying, there's something really wrong with me because I'm an addict and, and my parents didn't even divorce. That was a big thing to me. Like I just assumed like if people had childhood abuse, child sex abuse, if your parents got divorced, like those were traumatic events and it would make total sense if you got high after that and needed drugs. Like those are serious, right? My parents didn't even divorce. What the fuck am I using for? I'm just a piece of shit. I remember that, right? And and I'm like watching my daughter struggle and, and trying to almost like trying to blindly point, right? It's like pin the tail on the donkey. Like what? Why? And she just can't. And I want her to know that it doesn't, you don't need a fucking reason, right? Maybe there is a great reason and we just don't know it yet. Maybe it was something that happened when you were a kid that you were not aware of. Maybe your mother didn't pick you up when you were crying in the crib and you fucking, you know, never got comforted. Maybe you never learned how to co-regulate. That's all possible. Maybe it's just in your fucking biology. I don't know. And I don't think any of us know that answer yet. But the fact is, whether we find out later, oh, yeah, now this repressed memory came back. It was totally that that caused this. Or whether we don't. You feel that way. That's valid. That's enough. Like, we don't even have to have a reason. You don't have to feel like something's just fucking wrong with you because you feel that way. No, you, you feel that way. That's okay. We're going we're gonna to do something. In early recovery, I found it helpful knowing that it wasn't my fault, or at least believing that. And then I came to a place, you know, like, like in, early on, believing that it wasn't my fault helped me get clean. And then later, as I healed and progressed, you know, I owned my part. You know, I don't know if that makes sense, but yeah, for some reason early, knowing that, you know, like it was kind of written in the stars helped me seek recovery. Right. Right. Well, and, and that's, I think that's a, it was the mindset I needed to get help. Well, you know? but I, is it a bad mindset? And and is it not true? Like we can just, we say it's a mindset like, oh, well, it's not true, but I needed to think that for a while to mm -hmm. get here. I think there's a lot of mindsets for me in early recovery that just helped me get to a place and, you know, but I, you know, you change, you grow. Do you think you are responsible for your alcoholism? Ooh, tough question. <laughs> yeah. So even though I came from an alcoholic dysfunctional background, I still had free will, I guess. Wow. On what level do really? I accept responsibility? Do you really have free will? Right. Do I? I Could don't know. Could you really walk out into the world and decide one plus one is three? Nope. No, you're right, because I believe I am just a product of my environment. We're, we do what we're taught. Mm -hmm. I'm a product of my environment, so my parents, my hometown, the United States of America, yeah. planet Earth, I'm, yeah. I'm not very special. I am just a product. That's kind of depressing, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, and, and that's, I mean, what could we do? What could I have done different? I truly believe, and, and I came to this in my therapy, if I wouldn't have had drugs, I would have killed myself. I really believe that. I, I had some self-harm behaviors in my teenage years, and they only came out when I didn't have drugs. Right. What, what would, if I didn't fall in with the bad crowd in high school, what would have come oh, of God, me? Oh, God. If I didn't fall in. Do you think you fell in with the bad crowd? I sought the bad crowd. <laughs> the bad crowd looked they on the outside me. like I felt on the inside. Right? I swear to God, they selected me. They're like, we heard your parents are getting divorced. Come with us. I swear. <laughs> I, that's pretty much how it happened. <laughs> If I wouldn't have been abducted by aliens when I was three, no, I, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I, I don't think I can claim any responsibility. And I'm sure there's a lot of people that would argue. I see people look, we, I post these memes all the fucking time. People have arguments. I'm just trying to be entertaining, 
they're having arguments about whether Suboxone's clean, whether NA needs to shut the fuck up, whether, uh, you know, you had a choice in using or not, like all these different arguments. So I know there's a whole slew of opinions about how all this works and what it comes from. And there's people who are clean from addiction. And I don't know if this is so they can take credit for being clean, but they're like, Oh no, it was definitely, I chose it. And I, now I don't choose it and blah, blah. And I'm like, I just don't see it that way. Um, I do not. And I know people will sit here and say, no, dude, you were totally responsible for picking up your drug. Uh, you know what? If I was, it saved my life. It was a protector. It was a protector piece of me that said, man, if we don't do something, we ain't going to make it. And we did something. Yeah, I think so. I know there's certain parts of my, you know, my makeup that kind of shut down early on and they, they woke up in recovery. So yes, if I didn't drink, how much more would have shut down? you know, like memories and uh, access to emotions and, you know, that self-worth kind of stuff. So, yeah, so, it's true. Yeah, but what do we what do we do with that information? What can we really tell our kids that helps, right? Because so my daughter is struggling and not really in a place where she hears a lot, like, uh, of what I'm saying. You know, she's 15, almost 16. I'm the old dad that doesn't fucking understand, even though honestly, uh, she's so much like me at that age that it's like, dude, I don't think anybody on this earth understands better than me. My first reaction is, can everything slow down? Like, can just everything like, like just slow down? Like, like, like barbiturates. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Should we give her barbiturates? <laughs> uh, no, but I just, that that's my gut reaction. You know, when, when, um, the connection is lost, slow down, slow down the distractions, like reassess your connection or re just reconnect with her. And it might have to be like, I know you're busy as shit too. Like, I mean, like you can't stop work. So slow down, uh, you know, to a point. Um, I mean, that's my initial reaction. Well, you know, like, um, we've heard, you know, the word depressed, deep rest, you know, maybe slowing down you know the family as a unit i just don't know right i, I right. want to give her the ability to know that it's okay to be wherever she's at not right. okay in the sense that you don't need to do something about it but it, it's okay to have whatever feeling of life is fucking miserable and i don't understand why but it just is okay you are you know the message you are whole just as you are this is this what is happening is complete how oh, good. I can't remember the words. Help me. This is complete just as it is. That's it. I, so I don't, I don't want to get us too far away from like the idea here of, of what, what can we really give our kids? And so this is where I get confused. I, I want to say, uh, so my oldest two have a, a different mom. Um, they spent at least half the time with her for their first seven years. Right. And during that time, I do not know what happened with them. Right. They obviously got a different experience than they did at my house. I know that much. I know they were exposed through their mother and their mother's family to like movies they had no business watching. Like they would definitely sit at their grandmother's house on that side at five, six, and there would be R rated horror films and slashers and titties and fucks and all that. Like never going to happen at my house. Right. Like you're not catching any of that in fact i miss most r-rated movies because there's no time to watch it after the kids go to bed i go to bed um but yeah so i i know the little bit i know from there i can only guess what other negative stuff they were exposed to right i know they were like in my mind walking to school by themselves way too early right i've heard stories about their mother not getting out of bed and them like scrounging for food in the kitchen and like eating peanut butter and, and shit out of the cabinet, just out of the bucket. Like, so I've heard some stuff. So who knows what they got there? Uh, that was a long way of saying that. Right. Um, and I, you know, own my stuff. Like I was much more like my father in their first years of life, maybe their first 10 years of life. <sighs> maybe not that much. Not that I don't still have those moments when I'm not what I call a good parent at all, right? They, they still come out, but they're fewer and fewer and farther between. 
but like definitely their first seven, eight, nine years of life. Like I wasn't the prettiest dad, right? It felt like the good dad. And then this fucking Hulk creature that came out that was angry and, and loud, just like my father and, you know, screaming at people about how you got to be better. And so they got that right. Which is what I, I don't know, but I think is part of what fucked me up too from my dad. Right. Um, but here's where it gets interesting. Not to say that the twin sister doesn't have her struggles or that her struggles might not be harder to recognize or in different ways, but generally her reaction to going through that same experience for the most part isn't the same reaction. And so like, if we want to blame these aces and this trauma, I'm not saying it's not right, but here we have the one sister who went through this and like really is having this incredibly awful experience. And then the other one who is going to school and getting good grades and pretty trustworthy and honest and not trying all these risky behaviors. And, and I think that's, I'm not trying to portray one as a bad kid, one as a good kid. Right. But it's more one can make decisions that keep her safe. And the other one is making decisions to try to fix her problem, but they're, putting her in dangerous situations whether that's for her life or or what like they're really dangerous situations this is a fascinating twin study and surely they aren't the first set to be like this aren't there do you have access to other twin stories that are like this but i mean i think what we've decided is that it comes down to epigenetics like you have your genetics that will react certain ways depending on your environment Right. And, and like there's this epigenetics that layer on top of that, that kind of change what that reaction is going to be. And so they can have different underlying genetics that the epigenetics filter out differently. So they can go through the same thing and experience it different. It's like the person who can, can walk away from a devastating car crash that killed people. And they're like, ah, yeah, you know, it was awful, but I'm moving on with life. And the other person who's just hung up there and, you know, loses their job because they can't go to work anymore. Well, and and maybe they had differing experiences too, here, there, or otherwise, right? Like my remembering of this, which is not other adults remembering of this in my life, um, is that the daughter that's able to make the safe decisions, she was more connected-minded early on. Like she was very interactive with adults and wanted to be clingy and around them. And the daughter that struggles with safe decision making she always kind of kept to herself and so you know that can play a role like that sounds like biology and dna but also that feeds itself where the more interactive one is going to get more interaction and more love and more connection because she's trying to and how old were they then i mean this is from birth like that was interesting the experience with both of them that one really wanted to be clingy and around you and one and, and and I remember thinking, oh, my God, look at this great kid over there just playing all by herself. Doesn't need anything. Hmm. And, yeah, scary because it didn't didn't really work out that way. So uh, I guess all that to say, like, I, I still don't know what I could have done different because I don't know what exactly they went through that caused this because only one of them is really having the experience. Could I have been a better father? Absolutely. And, and I wish I had the information and the capability to, but... I don't know that that changes this. Right. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, yeah. Or 2021. What year is it? <laughs> so I, I don't know. what. I guess what I want to give my daughter right now, I want to give her the ability to know that it's okay. She doesn't need a reason for how she feels this way. I, 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 we're not, you know, I'm not blaming her. I understand at least that this is not a moral failing and that she's not a bad person. Mm-hmm. Right. I might not completely understand what she's going through, but I, I want her to know she's not alone. You're not alone in it. I will be here with you. I will try to help you with it in any way that you or I think might work. Like I'm willing to try some shit. I'm willing to step outside the box. Uh, I, I guess that's what I want to give her. I, I don't know that it's That helping. sounds like the best thing you can give her. Like that's a totally open and willing dad. So is that what we need to give them before that? Is that what we need to give them from birth? Yeah. I don't feel like I could have. I don't know that I can go out and tell parents, hey, you need to be open to anything from day one because I don't, 
I wouldn't have been. And I still don't think I would. Like, I need to know that this is life or you death. You can be open and still say, fuck no. <laughs> can At least though? consider it. At least think it through. Be thorough. So how do we give our kids that idea that they're not alone and that we're there with them and, and not go the fuck outside and play and leave me alone until bedtime? Shit. I don't know. Pra- I say practice every day. Just practice every day. You're still going to have like, I need to be alone. But if you if you bank up as much as you can, I'm just trying to arrange my life so that, you know, I'm, I and I don't want to make you sound like you're being selfish. You've got a great life. You know, you have a career, family, extracurricular, you donate time. And I think that's awesome. And it's all like a real good package. And I just I have mine set up where I I have my family time. I make sure I do what I need to stay sober. And I'm like, I try to fill their bucket every day. You know, with a little something, mm-hmm. a little something. That's my preemptive. I have younger kids. And I mean, I do have some black and white rules, you know, there, you know, I've, I've, there's, there's going to be no drugs and no alcohol. So, and if you're an adult and you choose that, you know, like there's, there's going to be no sliding like, well, it's okay if you had a little edibles. Nope. That's not like. That's unrealistic. Uh, well, that, I'm going to try for it and then I'll, I'll. Doesn't that still set them up for the whole so uh, I dated this girl at one point and she was really sheltered mm-hmm. and then she went to college and fucked it all up because all of a sudden there was no rules and nobody to monitor her and no mm-hmm. sheltering. And I, I don't know that that's exactly a thing if you're not searching for it anyway, but still like, yeah, I, I don't, in that case, that case happens too, but I'm going to try to do like, you know, I don't, I'm not going to send her out in the world with like, you know, like unrealistic stuff you know it's going to be like you're not going to do drugs because we have a family history of addiction and i don't want you trying it and if you do do drugs these are your consequences laying them out Mm. ahead of time so uh, i guess to wrap up like uh, just i love you i believe you like i i think the disbelief or the invalidation of how our kids feel is is extremely detrimental I, i don't know that it super helps to to validate them and believe them but it it can't hurt. And I think the other alternative is really, really awful to, to just try to understand, right? Just try to understand what they're going through or where mm-hmm. they might be. Try to conceptualize it in a place of they can't do anything different because they don't feel anything good. And I think, you know, I don't know, just trying to give them that message from day one. Like, I love you and I'm here. And, and Yeah. And if you can't be there from day one, start where you are. Yeah, that's a good point. For a lot of people who don't have that day one experience because of our problems. I don't know. Anything else? This was deep, man. Too heavy. (laughs) All right. Take it easy. Be safe. Love your kids. Did you like this episode? Share it with people you think might get something out of it. Check out the rest of our episodes at recoverysortof.com. Also, while you're there, you can find ways to link up with us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, anything. We're always looking for new ideas. Got an idea you want us to look into? Reach out to us. <laughs>